What do you do when something is broken? When you find something around your house that's broken, what do you do? Are you the, we're going to repair it, we're going to save it for later and fix it person? You know, you'd never throw anything away. You just put it aside and think, one day I'm going to fix that eventually. I think I've got a little bit of this in me. In fact, a couple weeks ago, I uh, had a clogged pipe in my house and I thought, no problem. I could fix a clogged pipe. Well, uh, the price of a pipe snake, uh, one cut pipe, a ruined pair of clothes, a ruined pair of shoes, and a night spent cleaning up my basement, and then a call to a plumber the next day. Later, I realized I can't fix a clogged pipe, and uh, it lesson learned there. At least Wendy hopes so. But is that you? Are you the repair person? Or maybe you're the throw-it-out person when something's broken. We live in somewhat of a disposable culture, and that happens a lot, right? I mean, the littlest things and the biggest things uh, might mean we're going to throw it out. we got a little rip in the couch. Well, I didn't like it anyway. Kick it to the curb. The car is making a funny noise. I'll put the for sale sign on it. Time to get rid of it. Are you the throw-it-away person and buy a new one and replace it? Maybe you're the reuse, recycle person. Oh, let's, don't, we can't throw this out. Let's, let's find a good home for it or someone who needs it. You know, it's broke, but maybe someone else can use it. My favorite is when some people call the church and say, well, it's broke and we don't want it. Does the church want it? <laughs> and usually I kindly try and say, well, if it's broke and you don't want it, we probably can't use it at the church either. What, what do you do when something's broke? But let me change the question a little. What do you do when someone is broke? Someone is broken. What do you do when you find out someone is broken? And I know that's a funny way to ask the question because we're all broken at some level. But what do you do when you find out someone is caught up in a sin, a brokenness in their life? What do you do when you find someone and you learn someone who came to Christ is now caught in sin. What do you do in that moment? What do you do with that person? What's your response then? Last week we asked the question of what do you do when someone in the church hurts you? Because we don't expect sometimes people in the church to hurt us, but it happens. This week we're asking the question of what do you do when you find out someone in the church, a fellow Christian, is caught up in a sin? Because maybe we don't expect that either. Maybe we expect that when we come in and people come to Christ in their life that we won't find them caught in sin. But you don't have to be in church very long to realize that people do hurt each other still and that people will still sin. And at times we'll be caught up in a sin and you'll find out about it. And what do you do in that moment? People are, uh, you know, less like finished work and more like a New England road that is constantly under construction. In fact, Ruth Graham, uh, wife of Billy Graham, at one point said she wanted the words on her uh, gravestone to say, uh, like one of those signs on the road, construction complete. Thank you for your patience. Because we're all kind of under construction, right? We're all broken to some extent. But what do you do when you find out someone is broken? What do you do when you find out, when you learn that someone who came to Christ is now caught in sin? Do you just throw them out, write them off as someone who's not or maybe never was a Christian and move on? I mean, that's what a cancel culture does. When it finds someone not living the way culture thinks they should live, they just write them out of the story 
take their seat away from the table. Now they're them and not us. But it's not just in the world. Sometimes in the church, this very same thing happens. That someone messes up, someone sins, and they just get canceled. They're out. There are all kinds of possible responses to that situation. You might express when you find someone caught in sin, disgust and indignance at such a thing. Or maybe it's just disappointment and a shaking of the head. Or maybe it's disbelief. Or maybe it's distance that you end up putting between you and the person. But what is the biblical response when you find a Christ follower caught in a sin? That's the question I want us to consider this morning. And it's a question that the Apostle Paul addresses for us in Galatians chapter 6. And just before Galatians chapter 6 verse 1, just before the verse we're going to read in a second, Paul is outlining what a spiritual and a mature Christian looks like. And he has this passage that we often know as the fruit of the Spirit. And he says, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. It's kindness, goodness, patience, faithfulness, self-control, and gentleness. And it's a person who's led by the Spirit and who follows the Spirit. He says, this is what a mature Christian looks like. And just after he finishes describing what a mature Christian looks like, he writes a verse on, but what about when someone is caught in sin? What about when a Christian is caught up in sin? What do you do? And in Galatians 6.1, Paul writes this. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. If anyone's caught in a transgression, if anyone's caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. The Christian response to learning that another Christian is caught in sin is not to cancel, is not to throw away, is not to kick them out, but my response and your response, actually mine and your responsibility, according to this passage, is to work to see that person restored. The Christian response, when you find someone caught in sin, is restoration. The word restore means to mend, to bring something or someone back to its former position of wholeness and soundness. The picture is like a fisherman who would daily mend their nets after a night of fishing to bring them back to a place of usability and usefulness. Paul uses that image and he says, that's what you're supposed to do when someone is caught in sin and you learn about it. It's really the third step in a church culture that we've been talking about the last two weeks. The first step is you create a culture of confession where we confess our sins to one another. The second step is to forgive one another. But the third step is to create a culture where we restore one another. But restoration is hard work. It's much easier to throw away than to restore many times. There's this show on Netflix that my wife Wendy likes to watch called The Repair Shop. I haven't watched too many of them, but she, she showed me one episode, and it's about this shop in, a, in an English countryside where people bring things, their heirlooms, their, their treasures that are broken, and they bring this to the, this shop to have them repaired. And to be honest, many of the things some people would just throw out, but this shop is the repair shop. And they repair them. 
And Wendy showed me one episode where a man brought a village clock in that had been hanging in their village since 1911. And it was in rough shape. I mean, it was rusted and weathered and barely holding together. The outside housing had holes in it. The glass was broken. The clock face was stained. Uh, it, just, it just didn't look worth saving to me. I would say, you know, I'd look at that and say, there's got to be one on Amazon. Throw this out. Put a new clock up in the village square. But this is the repair shop. And that's not what they do. So they painstakingly take this clock. And because when they look at it, they didn't see something to be thrown out. They saw something of value. They saw something worth restoring. They looked past the broken and cracked glass. They looked past the rust and the holes on the outside. And so they take it very carefully and painstakingly apart. And the metal worker takes the housing and has it sandblasted and then carefully welds back in the pieces. And the carpenter takes the oak housing outside and, and carefully works with the old wood and chips away the rotted pieces and replaces and puts in new pieces. And then the clock worker works on the clock face and removes all the stain. And the glass worker puts in a new piece of glass. And eventually, at the end of the show, they have the villagers come out at the unveiling of the clock, and they pull down the blanket, and everyone cheers because the village clock has been restored. When it comes to broken things and broken people, it really does start with how you see things, doesn't it? It really does start with how you see people. When you or I find someone caught in sin, do you see a person to be just set aside and thrown out who isn't a Christian or was never a Christian? Or do you see a person created in God's image? Someone who Christ died for. Someone who Jesus, who wants to follow Jesus but is also a sinner. Do we just see the broken glass or the rusty housing? Or do we see the beauty of what could be? Isn't that how God sees us? We are broken and sinners, and yet he saw something worth saving. Yet he saw something worth restoring. And God is saying that is how we are to see one another. This verse tells us not only what is to be done, but who is to do it, and the manner in which restoration is to take place. The verse says, you who are spiritual, Ought to restore them. And you might think, phew, I'm off the hook. I'm not that spiritual. I'm not spiritual. That must mean the pastor. That must mean someone else. But remember, this passage comes right after the fruit of the Spirit. Paul just said, those of you that have the Spirit that lives within you, and you have the Spirit in, in fruit in when you, even in bud form, you have that love, joy, peace, patience, goodness. You have that developing in you. You're led by the Spirit. You're following the Spirit. You who are spiritual, it's your job when you find someone who's caught in sin to restore them. Not simply the pastor's job. It's the job of every Christian. It's the responsibility of every Christian to work to restore but this verse also tells us how or the manner of which the restoration is to take place. It said, you should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. A spirit of gentleness. This reminds me of the craftspeople at the repair shop. When you're dealing with something that is broken, 
You have to be very careful when you handle it or you could do more damage to it. Using a blunt or wrong tool, banging it around or just being careless can leave the object in a worse state. Same with people. Same with people. Paul says restoration should be done gently, in gentleness. He has all these other fruit of the Spirit he could choose. He could have said it needs to be done in love and kindness and patience and all those things are a part of it. But he chose to say it needs to be done gently. Handle people with care. Gentleness requires understanding and it requires time. Just like restoring an old clock, a person requires time and gentleness and understanding. So as Christians, we learn that someone is caught in sin. We are to work to restore them and we are to do it in a spirit of gentleness. But also, Paul says, you need to be careful that when you go to restore someone, that you as the restorer actually have to beware of some pitfalls or you can end up in a worse situation than the person you're trying to restore. Let's keep reading. It says this, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so what Paul says in this passage is, look, watch out for yourself because if you are trying to restore, there's a possibility you can end up falling into the same sin. If you don't know how to swim, don't jump into the water and try and save a drowning person just to keep them company. Then we have two drowning people that we need to save. If you have not gained victory over a certain sin in your life, then you may not be the person that is called to do the restoring of another person who's struggling with that same sin. You need to be careful about that, Paul says. Be, beware of yourself. If you know this is a thing in you that you struggle with, then you gotta be careful that you don't fall into that same sin when you are working to restore someone who's caught up in sin. But the second warning, Paul gives a second warning, and he says in verse three, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor for each will have to bear his own load. Paul says, be careful because maybe you're not struggling with this sin and maybe you have never struggled with the sin of the person you're trying to restore but that can be a source of pride. That can all of a sudden be a place where you start looking at yourself and thinking, well, I've never struggled with that and I couldn't struggle with that and, I, and, and wow, I'm so above that and you start thinking of yourself more highly than you ought and you forget how much of a need of God's grace that you are and you forget how much that God restored you from and you can actually end up further away from God than when you started. And so beware of those two pitfalls when you get involved in the work of restoration. Don't fall into the same sin of the person you're working to restore and be careful you don't get prideful because you are in just as much need of grace in places in your life that that other person you're working to restore may not even struggle with. We're told in this passage that we are to be restorers of one another. But how do you do it? I mean, gently and carefully, that's what we've said, but how? What's the nuts and bolts of it? Because some of you are already thinking of a person that maybe you've tried to work with or maybe someone's tried to, how do you do it? It's not the same in every case. I think that's why Paul doesn't give us a formula for it. People aren't clocks. 
and they each need to be approached as individual people. It often depends on the depth of the sin, how ingrown it is, how long it's been happening, and how much of a hold it has on a person's life. Sometimes it might be one critical meeting with someone that changes everything. Often it's longer than that. Sometimes it's years of walking with someone. It's almost always involves, I think, some combination of confession, accountability, Christian fellowship, the church, prayer, scripture, and counsel. And it almost always takes time. And honestly, this only works when both people are pulling in the same direction. The reason this can't work with everybody outside the body of Christ is that there is no agreed upon goal and mission of what we're restoring people to often. When we are following Jesus together with him as our goal and his word as our guide, we know what we are working for. We're accountable to the Lord and to his mission and so we recognize what we're trying to restore people to. So when you are working to restore someone caught in sin, sometimes you just need to make sure, hey, we're on the same mission, right? We're moving in the same direction, right? It's Jesus. He's our guide. He's our goal. The word is our guide. The spirit is with us. That's what we're moving towards, right? Because if we both have that as the goal, then we can work towards restoration. Many times we hear about the sins of other Christians. This happens in our world that didn't happen in the world of Paul because we have social media and, and, and all kinds of ways we can hear about sins of other Christians from around the country or around the world. What do you do with that information? Because you're not in a place to help restore them. You're not in a place. So what do you do? Do you pass it on? Do you gossip about it? Do you talk about them? No. Pray. Pray that God would send other Christians into their life to restore them. We mourn when a fellow Christian falls away and it does it in a very public way. Because it doesn't just simply bring shame on Christ. It makes it harder for others to come into following Christ. So we pray, God have mercy and God bring someone into their life to restore them. A few months back when Christian comedian John Christ a little less than a year back, had some public things that came out about him that he needed to work on, caught up in some sins. Many people and Christians wrote him off, canceled him, dismissed him. When he came back publicly just about a month ago or so, after many months of working on things, he said that when it all happened, he expected that he would be canceled and written off. But what he didn't expect were that many Christians who reached out to him to help him and work towards restoration with him. But this is how the body of Christ should be. Listen to what I said. He expected to be canceled or dismissed. He didn't expect to be loved and restored. Let's change that. Let's make the expectation that we would be restored and restoring one another. Because the work of restoration is hard work, but for the Christian, it is not optional work. Work of restoration is hard work, but for the Christian, it's not optional work. This week, I got to hear a little bit of a picture of what restoration looks like. I got an opportunity to go to the New Hope, um, a New Life 
uh, golf uh, tournament earlier this week that Grace Rosado uh, was running for New Life Home that her and her husband George founded over 40 years ago. This home for women and children. And I knew a little bit about the ministry Grace attends our Burlington location, but I didn't know much about it. And I got to hear Grace talk about how they started this addiction recovery program for women, this Christian-based program over 40 years ago. And when they started it, what they realized were that these, they, they, it was needed in this area. There weren't any Christian recovery homes, inpatient homes for women in New Hampshire. And so uh, they started one. But then they realized that women weren't coming. And the reason they weren't coming was because they'd have to leave their children. And they were afraid that they would lose their children when they were getting help and healed. And so Grace and George changed their model and they made it for women to be able to bring their children into the home. And after 40 years, there's so many success stories. I was so encouraged hearing some of them. And here's, here's just a couple that they had printed up in, the, in their brochure. They said, Yamelis, 2019 graduate, came to us from Puerto Rico in 2017. Upon entering the doors of New Life Home, she weighed 86 pounds due to her drug addiction. She lost everything she loved, her family, custody of her children, her marriage, and almost lost her life. Yamilis was told that she would never again have the privilege of parenting her children. During her stay with us, Yamilis learned how to cope and work on confronting her painful past. Little by little, God began to restore her moment by moment. Through classes, counseling, and support of the staff, she was able to successfully graduate the program. Today, Yamilis is working in the medical field, working towards continuing her education, has reconnected with her family, and has been reunited with her children. Restore one another. Melanie, a 2018 graduate, came from an emotionally abusive relationship that led her on a downward spiral of depression. After losing everything, Melanie found new life and successfully graduated in November of 2018. She has since began working as a medical assistant at a local hospital here in New Hampshire. She has gained her independence, living on her own while raising her two children. Melanie has been restored from the inside out. Today, she has a sound mind, is an active participant in a local church, and a volunteer at New Life Home. Melanie is an inspiration to the new women entering new life. Mount Hope, the work of restoration is hard work, but for the Christian, it is not optional work. We are called, when you find someone caught in sin and you learn about it, don't write them off. Don't just wring your hands. It's not a time to be of disgust or distress. You are called to restore one another. And let us be a place where we do that in Jesus' name. God bless you.